Welcome back to Remove Requirement. Episode 24. Uh, your favorite podcast for resilience and reason in the time of Trump. Uh, starring your hosts, uh, Miracle Jones and... I am Kamala Shrow. Yeah. And this is episode 24. Yeah, episode yeah. 24. So uh, it's, been, it's been like a good almost nine months, right? Like 10 <laughs> months ago. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're 24 episodes in. We yeah. started in October-ish, yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. I guess it's November-ish. Yeah, right after the election. Yeah, um, so we've lasted so far. We haven't quit, um, and I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> yeah, why haven't we quit yet? Yeah. It's and not it, like we, this has worked. Our listenership has probably gone down over the months. Sure, <laughs> it has. It has. <laughs> We're um, not regular at it. We're not, you know, our... Oh, I, I, well, I 100% know why. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I, uh, we started this podcast is so I would check in on you. <laughs> okay. And insofar as you haven't hanged yourself, I consider this podcast a success. Interesting. All right, all right. So. Um, yeah, I think this is just talk therapy between two friends, and it just kind of gives us a reason to hang out. All right, yeah, And that's then, like, true. roughly, like, 50 people listen to it, and that's cool. Yeah, our goal of a Blue Apron sponsorship is still so far away. <laughs> so far away. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, we like to talk um, at the beginning of every podcast uh, about how we're doing. Um, it's only been a week since we recorded, and yeah, I yeah, saw yeah, you yeah. last night anyway. Yeah. But, um, uh, tell me, like, how was your week? Um, just to provide a little bit of context, I think you're going through a, a little transition in terms of work, and we are both. Um, yeah, I'm looking for a new job, so I've just been applying for editorial positions at magazines and publishing companies and try to find something that will you know it's, it's a weird thing to apply for because it's like you're applying to, you're, you're basically applying for like kings you're like let me rule you you know yeah like, i would like to be in charge of this organization and you, you pro- chances are you probably have no idea how the organization works or how it like runs or functions or, yeah but i think if they're asking for some they're uh, asking for somebody to yeah to have yeah, a yeah, new yeah. perspective but you know, so it's it's interesting. I'm trying to find organizations that have some that I can add some value to, and it's hard because you you oscillate between like wild flights of like egomania and like total like you know despair at your own abilities, right? Right. Like, yeah. There's absolutely. no in between. You have no sense on how you can like affect an organization until you're inside it. It's yeah. Silly to think otherwise, right? Yeah. Like you you need that fit to like you need to see how it works. From sure. Inside. So, I don't know. It's it's kind of desperate, but I'll find something here eventually. Even if I have to start from the bottom again and just intern or edit, be an editorial assistant, I don't mind. I, okay. Or a coffee shop. I don't I don't know. Well, eventually I'll find a way to pay the bills, but yeah, it is it is it is hard to go from uh a level of control and understanding to complete like I have nothing. I have no ship. I have no ship to to, yeah. to run right now, and that is hard for me. Yeah, I I have a, a, a few follow ups, but I will just kind of share my experience because I too am <coughs> going through a transition. I just got a new job. I'll start it in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, for those of you who know me, including Miracle Jones, um, I was interviewing for a long time. I was going through a lot of like job interviews, and I went through almost exactly what you had described, where it was godlike hubris right yeah. like just like a completely over inflated sense of self-worth to like crushing feelings of worthlessness yeah. all within like hours yeah right yeah, it's like right. a really bad space and you know i actually had a pretty like a pretty decent stable job that didn't require a lot from me um at the time so i had stability i had kind of a lovely home life i had uh friends um but like if you get into a mindset where um what you do is valuable and you want to feel like that's a way of 
of validating your self worth, it's really hard to go through a process of interviewing, and I just it was just crushing. Um, yeah, it was it was really hard to go through, and I think we talked about it in a couple of podcasts ago about how it gave me respect for actors. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a group of people I dislike uh, dislike the most uh, acting. Um, so uh, yeah, but. Rejection is hard, man. Rejection is hard. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think we're both the kind of people that like to be judged on what we do. Yeah. Our actual, like, results. Yeah. And it's hard in an interview to make that known. Yeah. People people want to know, like, what do you do? And it's it's hard hard to sell yourself. Right. (laughs) I I would say that um, I went through a lot of interviews, and I'm in a weird space, too, because I think what I tend to look for or what the types of jobs I was looking for, it's not a a field that's been around for 10 years. It's been a field that's been around for three and a half or something like that. Um, So people didn't necessarily know what they were looking for. Right. Um, But uh, towards the end, I had, uh, like, gone through so many interviews, I had sort of honed how I like to talk about myself and I would I knew how to handle certain <coughs> ways and I um, there were things that I wasn't like super happy about at my work but I, I learned how to like talk about them in a way that didn't sound like I was miserable at work like I mean you I mean it's, you know you put your best foot forward and you learn to sort of tell a story that would make people want to engage with you and in general I it sounds a little bit like spit polishing your own bullshit <laughs> um, but in the end I think that I, I have a core of that I, I think of myself as competent and I think of what I do is can be interesting so uh, there's a kernel of truth yeah that. yeah no it's it's just the same it's like uh, uh, you know my my mom always used to say, like, as soon as you don't have a job, your job just becomes getting a job. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's true. And eventually, yeah. you know, you have to learn how that works again every time you're out in the labor force. Like, yeah. what's I mean, changed, what's new. And yeah, we have a spare bedroom, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let yeah. But leave this glory? Yeah. Like, how will how, like, <laughs> I... Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I don't, have, I don't need the office anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. I've, I've had periods where I've just, like gone from i'm very i'm very rich in friends uh, i have the best friends anyone can ever want uh and i've had periods where i've just like cruised around like staying with various people from for like six months on at a time just because like shit gets real I, that's not gonna happen now i'm way older but, yeah. you know and i've actually had a real job for a long time but it's uh it's it, there's something to it. It's it's kind of peripatetic. You you get to learn. You get to see. You get closer to your friends. You can see how they live. Yeah, you know? and yeah. it's 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 nice to it's nice to visit too. It's yeah. uh, it's uh, maybe maybe someday I'll, I'll go on a nice long <laughs> vacation and sure and stay in your spare bedroom. Your sure. spare bedrooms of so many other people listening <laughs> to this podcast. So if you if you miss me, <laughs> that's Miracle Jones at FictionCircus.com. Right. <laughs> we don't have. We don't have like official sponsors, <laughs> yeah. but if you're a listener, <laughs> if you're a listener, you, you can actually kick back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your room of requirement yeah, can exactly. become our room right, of exactly. requirement. Um, no. I, you know, the other thing I, I just want to talk a little bit about is like uh, just kind of the mechanics of of how you like you know if you're in between jobs, like yeah. how do you fill your time? How do you make sure like you try to keep some even keel? One of the things that, especially when I was going through job interviews, like I. I am not someone who deals with, I, like, I don't necessarily experience highs and lows regularly, and so this is, it's really, like, I mean, I just have to learn to keep things in perspective. Right, so, yeah. Um, you feel, I feel like you hit highs and lows more. On a day, day yeah, daily. Yeah, yeah that sounds down, terrible. Like, yeah. <laughs> so how do you, how, 
do you try to regulate yourself? Do you? How do you keep your? Yeah, I'm already kind of a workaholic, so I just focus on working on other things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I have no not more time to do other things that I work on. I also I have my own company, so yeah. I, I'm trying to grow that as well. Uh, and spending more time on that, you know, and for lack of anything better to do. Uh, yeah. And so that's fun. I mean, I'm, and we had a really good month and put some books out and acquired some others. And I've been meeting with writers and, you know, maybe something will come from that and it'll, I can just make that my job. But that seems really unlikely. So it's uh, it's it's tricky. I mean, there's no... Yeah. It's a, the, the field that I'm in is already gambling. Right. Right. You're already like... It's highs and lows yeah. of will the book succeed or not. Yeah. So I'm kind of hoping to get into, and I'm leaving that mm-hmm. uh, publishing company. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping to get into like a magazine, sure, which has more of a steady output, right? And has more, you know what I mean? It's ad revenue based as right. opposed to sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that'll help me deal with those highs and lows of the sure. job that I have is not so bound up in that as well. Sure. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, not to play your um, Asian uncle, but are you, are you eating okay? <laughs> I'm eating. I'm eating are you okay. sleeping okay? I'm sleeping well. <laughs> yeah. Are you? I am. I would say. Yeah. Are you socializing? I'm socializing. I I'm, going I, out I'm not. I kind of. I, uh, not really even joking about. It. I kind of feel like like you just have to have like a daily like Check even in your regular like like I mean that's not that's not just you that's like me as well like I'm like Every, yeah, eating sure. right sleeping right um, you know socializing right yeah yeah. yeah 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 no it's a fair question i, I definitely because i think those things can also run yeah for sure and i hate you a little i am i'm trying to keep it keep keep it in perspective and no. you know enjoy enjoy life anyway yeah it is stressful and i do feel it like in my back and yeah in my like you know you know just like it's a it's, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's a tension you carry with it's yourself, a tension sure. you carry yeah. yeah so but you know like i i uh i think that's a tension that a lot of america is going through the whole job reshuffle as things like change and yeah, I mean, jobs are made irrelevant yeah. and you know yeah absolutely I mean I, I don't think this is a, these are always easy times yeah. for sure uh, so I'm out there with you Trump, yeah. Trump's America <laughs> all, right. those, all those carrier plant right right right, right, right. Yeah. The, the, the dark underbelly of liberal elitism <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about in terms of uh, this personal stuff is there are you are you nervous about your new job? Uh, a little. Like I mean, in terms of just going to a new job, yeah. um, I think things will be okay. Yeah, I think yeah. it's. I'm not like, I it's something I, I want to do. I mean, it's just a there are new things, and I don't know, um, what kind of immediate pressures there will be coming into this. This is a new position, so uh, they've just created. So, um, we'll see. I I. Th- I think it'll be okay. I think what I worry about more than anything is how it'll affect my life uh, outside of work. So um, this is a nine-to-five job, or even longer corporate banking. Yeah, you know, yeah. like much longer corporate hours, New York yeah. job, New York yeah. real job hours, which are infinite. Right? Yeah, and so like all the other extracurriculars that I have, and like just being able to like socialize, and like especially this past week, like all I had to do, like today, all I had to do was go take Chinese. Like show up, figure out what my wife wanted for lunch, and then come to this podcast. Like it's so nice. You do seem extremely relaxed. <laughs> extremely relaxed. I'm like I, I uh, you know, I just looked at uh, Angela, my wife, and I were just talking and we we're looking at each other and like we're like, oh my god, I'm not putting on any weight. Like we haven't exercised the past week. We're still like relatively trim. I mean, we're not like super trim, but we're like, what's happening here? Um, it's just you know, 
I'm not stressed. Not stress eating. Like, yeah, it's really, really nice. See, that's interesting. Like, I'm the artist and you're the real job person. Yeah. But, like, you without a job, you're as relaxed as can be. And I'm fucking falling apart. <laughs> today. It's interesting. Like, right. You would live the life of an artist very well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, except for the fact that I don't have any creative output, right? Yeah, you can. It's, it's all bullshit. You yeah. just, like, find something and call it art. Okay. All right. Great. Data analysis as right. art. Right. Right. I just, just like, put out. I put out a bunch of R plots and call yeah, it exactly. Art. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, if it's if it's R plots that uh, intersect with like feelings, you know, yeah. You have, you have a blog. Gross. It's going to be. Oh, it's so. That's such a good Gross. idea. Gross. Can't have that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, sir. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I think we have a lot to talk about in terms of politics. Anything yeah, you want to talk about? Let's get to politics. Um, bunch of stuff happened over the past week, um, yeah. and I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, there are a number of things we were going to talk about, uh, but I also want to thank you. Uh, I mentioned this. We had dinner yesterday, and I had dinner with my wife, and we didn't talk about politics at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you were holding yourself back. I think that was like uh, just you like kind of trying to hope and to wind it down, because my wife does not love to talk about politics. No, she does not. Uh, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so thank you for not bringing <laughs> politics into the first election. <laughs> So, uh, a lot of things happened over the past week, and I think um, uh, we were going through topics we wanted to talk about, and I think it's really important to separate what got a lot of press coverage or uh, Twitter retweets or whatever uh, versus what we think are important. Um, uh, so, we will not be talking about the NFL uh, at the beginning. We will bury that way, way down where it belongs. <laughs> um, and I think the first topic that we really wanted to talk about was Puerto Rico. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this is something that just got buried. I, people brought it up that that it's not clear why, or maybe it is clear why, uh, Trump is not talking about it. But, I mean, it is effectively a borderline humanitarian disaster right now. Um, it is a number of people... In, uh, Good deal that island has no access to electricity or water. Or water, yeah. Um, often the two are related, um, and there has been a limited amount of news coming out about it, and certainly you're not seeing the same kind of coverage. Uh, if everybody there had power, social media would be overwhelmed with people screaming for help. Right about water. Right, exactly. So, and I think there's there is a, a lurch towards oh, we're not covering it because they're poor and they're <coughs> brown. That may or may not be true, but I think a lot of it is because you have no electricity on an island, it's very hard to get people to broadcast that news or post videos that they're taking or whatever. So social media depends on a certain amount of infrastructure, yeah. Yeah, IT infrastructure that the island just doesn't have. And I think as things... We're so used to not paying attention to the print news or, yeah. or journalism that isn't social media based that doesn't whip itself into a frenzy based on Google experiencing it. That yeah. we, it's it's a hidden problem right now. It, it is a hidden problem. Right. It's something that we kind of have. It's just being ignored, um, both intentionally, I think, a little bit, but also just unintentionally. It's just our media landscape is driven by other things. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we can we both agree that Trump's kind of response to that is fairly appalling since he is in a position to change that narrative. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a real short. Uh, I mean, this is a real shortcoming of of the sort of messaging or the priorities. Um, it could have been very easy. He was, uh, in some ways, uh, pretty decent about covering things like Hurricane Harvey, uh, the following disasters. But for some reason, he got wound up by something else. Again, this is an ADD president in a lot of ways. 
Um, and he just felt like for I will, we can talk a little bit about the NFL, but it, there were other things for him to pay attention to. Yeah. Right, and his main response, his first response to this, is to talk about Puerto Rico's debt situation, as if yeah, that has very, anything to do with the fact that none of them have power or water. Right. I mean, I think yeah, he went on a sort of a rambling uh, Twitter kind of thread, maybe two or three tweets. Um, it's not worth reading, um, but uh, yeah, he talks a little bit about electricity and the debt and the electric grid, as if he's making excuses. Um, And, yeah, it it was just poorly handled. It's not clear what the situation is because it's very hard. You know, it's an island again. Um, It's hard to get supplies in and out, especially if you don't have a lot of electricity. It's hard to coordinate. Um, And, obviously, uh, resources in the region and resources in the country and FEMA's resources have been stretched because we had a number of disasters over the past month. So... Um, this is a hard situation. It just could be handled better in terms of just messaging and sympathy. Yeah, I mean, and if this turns into a refugee situation, we have hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans leaving the country. Where are they going to go? Are they going to come to New York? Are they going to come to Florida? What city is about to be hit with a mass exodus of people leaving because their homes are destroyed? And yeah, so we don't know what gone. the damage is, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and there are a number of people. I think. Um, uh, it'd be interesting to see where they go because, mm-hmm. um, in general, uh, uh, Puerto Ricans have had uh, strong ties to Florida, New yeah. York, a lot of other places uh, up and down. I think mostly the East Coast, is, if I'm getting that right. But yeah, um, and so I wonder what the refugee situation is going to look like. I wonder what the rebuilding situation is going to look like and whether or not you'll have the same kind of hurricane funding battle that you did or did not have in the Congress over funding Texas, right? Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, there are there are political situations, but I think fundamentally you're dealing with a, a logistical nightmare of a disaster, and um, it's just not something that we're aware of, and it should be something that we do talk about more. Something I've been thinking about is, does this change Puerto Rico's calculus as far as becoming a state? Does the, yeah, interesting. Does the the kind of ongoing ramifications of this particular disaster m- make them kind of reconsider their, you know, they have a, a vote for a statehood every few years, you yeah. know, and overwhelmingly turn it down for no. a variety of reasons. Uh, but if I were a Puerto Rico, I would seriously consider after this getting those two senators, right? It seems like this is a clear situation where having political representation... Yeah would be useful, uh, especially as climate change continues to be a, a problem for island nations. I think also with the funding, so there, there are reasons that Puerto Ricans haven't wanted, and there are reasons actually the U.S. doesn't want Puerto Rico to become a state. Um, so the one, I think there are funding issues, there are yeah. sort of a, uh, there's just a cultural difference, right? It's, it's, it's Puerto Rico still remains uh, predominantly Spanish-speaking, right? Yeah. And I think that makes the U.S. especially uh, red states uh, really uncomfortable with it. You'd be pulling in a lot of Spanish-speaking Democrats. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, I think what would, as pushing Puerto Rico at least to think about it, is maybe a funding issue. They went through a huge bankruptcy. They're still mm-hmm. reeling from it. Um, and this disaster will mean that they need even more funding from the government. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the give and take of all of this will be. And I think that w- the Republicans won't want to move on it. I think they just don't want to pull in more voters that are going to lean pretty heavily towards uh, the Democrats. I would guess it's a three-to-one or 2-to-one uh, split. 
of course, Puerto Ricans are American citizens. Sure, absolutely. Uh, but they're also American citizens without political representation, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a strange it's a thing we've allowed to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not crazy about that from a democratic perspective, being able to vote yourself out of representation, right? Like I I think in some ways you should yeah. kind of be forced to at this stage stage. You know, if you're a population bigger than you know, it would be the twenty ninth biggest state. Yeah. If it were to let itself. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a lot of people that we've just, you know, allowed to not have the, both the responsibility of and you know, access to political representation. Right. Yeah, it just depends on whether or not we can leave. I think at this point, it's not clear whether or not disaster will force us to rethink Puerto Rico as part of our island, uh, part of our country yeah. um, in the same way we think of any other state, right? Because it's not technically, and so we've kept it in some ways at arm's length a little. Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe this will. Maybe this will change things. Probably won't. But yeah. I, it, you do see both the cost and the, it. Tr- it's troubling. It's troubling to see a, a place in such crisis and not have elected representatives you can turn to to who are right or trumping up support or will fight yeah. for funding all of that. Like a lot of this is gonna who are doing deals with other states in order to get that funding. Yeah. There's nothing they can offer, right? If there yeah. were, if we had, if there were two Puerto Rican senators right now. They would be the tie-breaking vote for you know almost all democratic initiatives, right? They would be they would they would bring things up to what fifty-three to fifty-two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so with, I mean, there would be a hundred and two people in the Senate. Right? Yeah, so yeah. so you'd have McCain and wouldn't you? Would you would need one or the other? Right? You just need yeah. one Republican to come over. So those Puerto Puerto Rican senators, new ones, would have immense political power that they could trade. Yeah, especially in a in a, in a Senate that's. Almost deadlocked all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, less so in the House, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, so I, I feel like that. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see that for for their sake and for I don't know, just the sake of. I, it's weird that there's a population of people in the world that don't have much political representation and they have American citizenship. Yeah, it bothers me on a for, as a from a humanitarian and dem- democracy standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to say about Puerto Rico? I wish him the best. Yeah, Jesus absolutely. Christ. Yeah. Uh, um, I, wor- what, what are we going to hear when that when the power comes back on? That's yeah. Be- I think that's going to there, there may be a flood of like really bad news that came out yeah. because we're just not seeing the same kind of pictures. Um, all right, let's move on. Yeah, I guess, yeah. uh, to healthcare, um, which is an important topic, and once again, it's about a sixth <laughs> of our economy um, <laughs> hanging on by a thread. Uh, it's it's up for a lot of there's a there's a lot uh, a lot of like. Just in terms of the slice of the American economy, there's a lot that hinges upon like some very kind of narrow, like grubby politics. Like, uh, you know, a handful of senators can really are are able to dictate the fortunes of millions and millions of people, which is really unfortunate. A handful of senators from places that do not themselves contain millions of millions <laughs> of people. It's true. Uh, it's true. So um, I guess they've uh, tried to rehash or resurrect some sort of repeal and replace and it looks like it is floundering as of the time we're recording it which is what four o'clock on a tuesday it seems like it's more or less they've taken it off the vote yeah Yeah, they've taken it off the vote they didn't have the support a couple of people went against it i think they used a report um from the congressional budget office that said that gave just bad numbers to the uh to the plan um as cover to say that we're not going to support this um so they've been uh, effectively the the latest version of the repeal and replace um, bill has been 
rescinded. Yeah. Um, and this means that healthcare reform effectively dies in the way for another year until they have to pass another budget. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this and the reason that that happens is because there were uh, they were going to try to get in healthcare reform under some relatively obscure laws that would only. It's through the budget reconciliation process, so they only needed 51 senators. Um, unfortunately, the Republican Party, fortunately or unfortunately, um, is not unified enough to produce something uh, that could affect, that could pass. To um, be fair, let's say the Senate of the Republican Party, yeah. because I, I would I think the House would scramble on anything and pass it. Yeah, that's possible. Would. There may be they they have enough buffer, I think, yeah. as well to lose a couple of votes. Uh, not so the Senate. Um, so this allows us, since we're not immediately dealing with uh, the replacement or the repeal of Obamacare, it lets us talk about a little bit about healthcare policy, um, which is interesting, right? Like, so we can, um, and it's such a vast topic. I think, I don't, I think no one does a great job of it. Um, there are a number of things that have come out. Obviously, the Democrats have started to swing, uh, started to swing a little even leftward, talking about single payer. Um, which is different, um, uh, and uh, there are some other ideas as well. But I wanted to talk about a couple of topics about healthcare. But I think you have plenty of uh, opinions about it. I, I do. I, I as I was telling you earlier, in a in a in a in, the spe- in an act of epic masochism, I watched the uh, the, the Sanders Klobuchar Cassidy Graham debate on yeah. CNN, where they talked about healthcare. Uh, and it's fascinating to me just how cross purposes everybody talks about healthcare. Yeah. Like how how much just smoke and bullshit on all sides come comes at you when the topic of healthcare is just brought up. It's such sure. a such a personal issue. People have such opinions about this thing right. that is inevitable. It's an inevitability in everybody's life. It's impossible to live a life and not need healthcare at some part of it. Right? Like, yeah, it's near impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we wouldn't want people to do so anyway, as because of epidemiology, right? Like, the, it's a as yeah. with as you know with vaccines with uh, uh, certain illnesses, we want people to feel like they can get healthcare because it herd immunity. It protects us all. If, you know, people who are part of the pool of healthcare, right? Like people. Yeah, to some safe. degree, in certain cases, yes. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a society with good healthcare is far more able to withstand the ravages of something like Ebola than one without, right? As we saw in Liberia and the United States. Sure, I, to healthcare. I mean that, that's to, uh, that is true in some degree. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there's a, a security issue as far as healthcare is concerned. There's a there's the humanitarian issue, and there's a, there's, a, there's the financial issue. It's a giant part of our economy, right? Like, yeah. So a lot of people make a lot of money off. Yeah, like, and people live their whole lives in the healthcare world, working for it, and it's a massive issue. And uh, there's no easy answers, and everybody seems to watching this debate. Everybody had a real easy answer. Right? Yeah, Grams was send it back to the states and let the states all mm-hmm. decide. Sanders, you know, Medicare for all, you know, just like Canada. Uh, and Klobuchar had, you know, was pretty interested in just fixing Obamacare as mm-hmm. if that's possible, as if like there aren't structural problems in Obamacare that right. are causing it to. Right, like as if we can quickly and easily fix Obamacare, and if the Republicans would just come over and agree, we can just yeah. sit. You know, all we need is just to expand the markets just a little more, and then everything would be fine. The and you know, Cassidy is 
easily the most bad faith and dumbest of the bunch, but he's also a fucking doctor. So his yeah. point of view is interesting as well, you know, as a as a physician who's worked in And remind our listeners who Cassidy is. Uh, senator from Louisiana. That has had a number of healthcare experiments it's in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. And it may seem like a really strong red Republican state, but, you know, like one charismatic leader could change all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Louisiana's, like, changed. Uh, well, what do you, what's your opinion on the whole debate? Yeah, so I, I think there were a couple of things that happened in the past week yeah. that I thought were, were interesting. One is that um, pop culture really kind of had a had a moment of healthcare uh, talking points because I think uh, Jimmy Kimmel came out yeah. and once again got in involved in the healthcare debate, which um, just instinctively I'm against. I, think <laughs> I am too. I think there's a really complicated uh, subject. I don't think... Um, I hate it when actors talk about politics. I hate it when they... Uh, he's people. I ju- he's not a policy wonk, and he shouldn't be... It would be great if we had someone who could communicate healthcare complexities in a way that I think a lot of entertainers can easily communicate. Um, but that's... That that we had to find, but <laughs> I understand that there's. But I think the way that healthcare is going to be, uh, the the debate is going to be put forth, and I think you talked a little bit about this is uh, like heartbreaking uh, stories of people who are somehow deprived of things that we kind of consider rights, like the right to live, um, based on being denied medical care. Um, one of the things that, um, and I think Democrats are really playing this, like, okay, well, I'm not able to afford cancer treatment, I'm not able to have access to blah, 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 because of uh, the threats of cutting funding. The problem is that um, this sword cuts both ways, and because um, any kind of healthcare funding involves funding some uh, some operations, um, some treatments, and not funding others. So it is very possible that you can talk about scenarios where Obamacare, because of the way they have to funnel insurance providers, also denies people health care. That is just what will happen in any system of health care is that certain people don't get covered and some people do unless you have universal coverage. Yeah. Um, universal coverage. And even universal coverage, even state um, health care plans like the ones in Canada, they make very clear decisions on what kind of um, what kind of procedures, what kind of treatments they'll allow and what kind they don't. And so on the on the margins, there are always people who are being excluded, and that, that yeah, this liberal, kind of debate, are liberals ready to give up acupuncture, right? I mean. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, I, so keep in mind that all systems will have to have some sort of uh, control, some sort of way of drawing a line of what kind of what they provide and what they don't, and so that this rhetoric can cut both ways. I think it's something that Democrats really like because you can talk about uh, cruel Republicans as a narrative they really like. But understand once... Also, to be fair, Republicans tend to be fairly cruel about this They tend to be a little... (laughs) um, This actually... So I I, want to bring up the other point. So one of the things that the Republican uh, uh, proposal did, I think one of the key things was they were going to give it to the states. And so this all sounds like... uh, You can debate a lot of this, right? So whether or not... uh, And in... And it appeals, I think, to Republicans in the sense, one way that, okay, the states are better governments, there's Mm -hmm. a natural laboratory, and they're better off dealing with uh, problems than, say, a federal government, which I think... And Lindsey Graham, who's so fucking smart, just listening to him is like an education and like being a snake. I love him. Yeah. uh, His... His point of view is that we, he wants to get to universal health care. Like, yeah. He's pro-universal health care. You know, the southern, demo, you know, like, populist, like, yeah. spe- the spe- you know, he, he feels your pain. He wants to get to universal health care. But the only way we'll get there is if the states do it, right? Right. So this is... so <laughs> They're um, the only ones that can cut the cost enough. Federal government is too inefficient. Right. So this is... Uh, so 
one, that's a, a nonsense argument. There's there are plenty yes. of states there are plenty of states that can be really efficient and will be really good. There'll be plenty of states that aren't, yeah. um, so, including fucking South Carolina. But. Right, and so and what'll happen? I think a lot of times there could be there could be interesting innovations, but a lot of these states are much smaller states, and they don't necessarily have the people and the resources to really devote to something as complicated as putting forth a state. In a health insurance policy. Yeah. Um, so this is why, and I've always had the suspicion, the reason Republicans want to talk about state funding is there's a big difference between how government, our federal government funds things and how the state government funds things. And the th- truth is state governments can't run a debt. Yeah. And so you see, and and this is the crux of the problem of, of health care spending, is that it's going to get more and more expensive. Fifteen years down the road, it may not be, because th- we're talking about different dynamics of the population. Fifteen, twenty years down the road. But we're going to Right now, we're in the middle of ramping up healthcare costs, uh, especially as our population ages, and the go- and the Republicans see handing over state care as a way of holding federal spending or government spending on healthcare in check, because effectively, states can't run deficits. So as costs increase, they will have to cut healthcare, right? Because they just unless they can figure out a way to generate tax revenue. Whereas if the federal government face the same problem, it can always borrow more, right? <laughs> it doesn't have balanced budget amendments the right. way that states do. So this is a way of limiting government spending on health care. This is effectively, this is the subtle thing that Republicans don't talk about, but that's true. They want to hold in, they want to control costs, the inevitable costs of health care, by making sure the states pay for it, which means that the states won't be able to increase spending um, proportional to the needs of the population. Yeah, also it's a, it's a method of creating corridors and areas that absorb the sick whereas you know if you're in a state that doesn't have health care you flee to one that does right? <laughs> so all of a sudden that state is lost like a liability right yeah like, so yeah, it could be i mean there's there are all yeah as long as you're not responsible you can yeah. always force people oh i i think that actually doesn't work as well as as people think it will or people are cynically saying that people want i think people who are Often people who don't have the resources will stay in that state, right? Like yeah. the, the whole point of not being able to have, to be uh, being sick is that you're pro- uh, that you have a higher likelihood of not being able to move. Right, but I mean, like, if you're somebody who wants to be a leech on the state, you're going to move to, you know what I mean? Like, if you think about where should I live, right? Yeah. Like all, you know, like if you're a future, you know, like uh, liability on the state's coffers, you'll move, you'll position yourself to where you're saying, you know, I would certainly move to a state with universal health care over one that didn't have it. Right. Which gets you, gets rid of one liberal from the South. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 I mean, I, I've often said that health care has really failed if you actually have health care insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I look at this whole debate on both sides. Sanders pushing for, I guess, Ideally, I'm sure he wants like a, a French or English style, you know, socialist system, not a single payer system, which is what he claims he wants, like a Canadian one. I think in, in he, the single payer is like a road to a, a state-run social socialized medicine system. But I, I look at this the the arguments, and I I think like what a lot of work on all sides just to get us to the fucking public option yeah. that Joe Lieberman torpedoed, you know, like. Uh, in 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, that would solve so many problems. Why don't we just, even if it won't solve all the problems, why don't we just try it and see what happens? I think it, I, there's a lot of cost for uh, adoption of anything, really. Well, there certainly is, but that's something that's a, a great compromise that we don't 100% know. I just, I'm, so I think the Democrats have moved to the left. Um, I wonder, and I think the, de- the Republicans have long moved to the left on health care yeah. in a way that 
they don't realize it. Um, and I, I'm curious to see what happens should there be some sort of middle ground. Yeah. Um, so I think things will change. But that, to me, that do you see another way forward as far, other than the, adopting the public option, like as a as a way to shore up Obamacare and get more people into the system in order to pay its bills? Um. Yeah. I mean, I I think that you. Well, yes, I see another option. I think you would walk away from Obamacare. Okay. So that's, I think that's possible. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's, so where I, what I think is good policy is different <laughs> than what I think is going to happen yeah. in this case. So um, I, I think with the lurch leftward of both parties, I think you're probably going to do something uh, like a light version of a public option. Yeah. Um, I think there's still going to be a lot of. Uh, I wonder what the political trade-offs are, though. Like an opt-in. I mean, you could you could have you could split it both ways. Like an, uh, states can opt into a public option, right? Like, right. So you could have, you know, Louisiana decide not to allow its citizens the public option, right? Right. I think so. This is a longer conversation, um, okay. but I, and I'm happy. To, let's. I mean, I, we can keep talking about how no, we I'm should gonna... be. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I want to kind of end on is that the more. Uh, the more social services you offer, right, yeah. the more reasons people have uh, to kind of throw up walls against immigrants or, or raise the likes, raise the bar barriers of entry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always a little bit uh, wary about kind of raising our entitlements because I think it, it forces, we go down the road of Europe, which is fortress Europe. Like we have great entitlements, but we tend to we tend to throw up walls and not allow a lot of people in who aren't European, right? So um, that's 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 the way. I'm always a little. I'm much more hesitant about uh, ramping up entitlements um, for that reason. Um, but I think this is a long discussion anyway. So I mean, let's, yeah. let's just return to it next week. For I just don't. I don't see this this, this I don't see this conversation ending ever in my lifetime. Obviously, yeah. but the the current I guess like iteration of it is particularly annoying. Is yeah. that's all I want to say? I'll agree with that. Yeah. Um, so let's, you, let's talk about the NFL briefly. Okay. Did you have anything? To, did you have anything you want to say about it? I mean, it's such um, a it's such a non-issue. Yeah, I think it's a non-issue. I think yeah. again, most people have already covered this. Um, yeah. In a lot of ways, I think the process of why it became an issue is that Donald Trump. To be fair, it's a no, I think it's a non-issue because they so obviously have a right to take a knee during the national anthem. That why are we even talking about it? Why does anybody care? For the yeah, part? I would, taking I, a knee. I consider it to so. Be I have the opposite. I'm actually way right on this, but <laughs> I but. Uh, but I think it's also an absurd debate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I want to. So the process is that, and someone has uh, mentioned this on Twitter, but like you know, the, the process of of this coming about again, Donald Trump is sort of a shallow person who um, feeds a lot on adulation and feedback. Yeah. Um, so what happened was that he tends to throw a lot of chum in the water. Yeah. And but w- but he is one of these people who can listen to and responds to when people pick up on that. Right and mm-hmm. whatever feedback, whatever Twitter analytics he's running, um, he has an ear for when people fee- uh, uh, respond to what he's saying, and he threw out some comment, and uh, it's tended to generate a lot of noise. And then he kept going, he kept going back in that well, right? Like he just he just kept drawing from that deck yeah. over and over and over again. And the more it excited his base and pissed off other people and got people talking about, there were some really ugly kind of implicit racial dimensions about who he was fighting with on Twitter, including Steph Curry, and I think LeBron James as well. LeBron James, um, uh, Michael so Jordan's weighed in. I, th- I think everybody is on the same page here. As yeah. Far as, yeah I mean, um, so I think, so that's the process of what happened, and and, and 
because and the reason why we're covering the NFL so late today's podcast is because it's effectively covered. Uh, it allowed him not to talk about other things like North Korea or the, the, the um, or Puerto Rico or the healthcare debate, yeah, yeah. right? And these are issues that aren't going to get solved that he has no real path forward on. And it allowed him to do what he wanted to do, which was stir his base and piss off people he likes to piss off and, and generate. Attention for himself, and I just want to. Uh, I don't see the strategic. It turns every Sunday into a referendum on Trump. Right. I think that strategically, he's he's not a strategic strategic thinker, or he doesn't think one step ahead. Yeah. Um, I think with uh, the space of being able uh, to churn his base, um, other than kind of uh, electing t- um, electing the new, or sorry, allowing him to like put himself in the news uh, more. I think that's kind of the goal. Like he sees that as a success because what has happened actually is his polls have risen because he's not been in the, uh, he hasn't been so much in the press as much. <laughs> and he hasn't been front and center because you know there's been some relatively competent handling of something like Hurricane Harvey. Like yeah. he's looking like a competent president, and while his poll ro- numbers are rising, it hurts Trump. I think it hurts him in a way, <laughs> um, so that he thinks somehow ginning up his base over this NFL issue is much more important than say actually looking like a leader should have um, over the past couple of weeks you know I played I played I was a football player right for the school that won the state championship every year so it was a really like high powered football team that I worked on and it was a very religious school right uh, but the position that I, I was in didn't wasn't we were all kind of Catholic and everybody else was evangelical Christian that was the defensive backs were all just like Catholic dudes and I don't know why but the defensive coordinator ran the defensive backs and we were all Catholic and we didn't particularly want to pray for victory mm-hmm. so it was always a it wasn't a protest but because it was you know illegal to ask us all to pray for victory you know before every game and after every practice the the uh, uh, head coach would always say you can either join us in prayer or you can take a knee mm-hmm. you know and you know ob- of course I took a knee as, as did many of mm-hmm. the rest of us and mm-hmm. but it was still a respect you know it was def- the choice that was being made for us was like you can either join us in this like solemn occasion or you can you know be respectful to us by like in a taking a submissive position right yeah. i was aware of that every time i was on my fucking knee like as everybody else was praying like yeah what's the difference it's not like i'm jacking off yeah right like you're forcing me to like be here and like solemnify your mm-hmm. damn and I, I feel this the, the, the entire like nfl protest thing yeah. is similar to their getting down on one knee while everybody's singing the national anthem like if this offends you jesus christ like you know you really need to consider the you know what i mean like right. <laughs> So uh, let me let me let me weigh in. So I yeah. actually think that um, the NFL is a private corporation, and, uh, and that's kind of undisputed. And yeah. in general, I'm I am. So why are we doing? The, why are we singing the national anthem at the NFL? Right. So this is this is part of the company policy that, that we will set. So if the if the NFL, I don't think that individual employees have the same right to protest at a company event. What if you're what if you're not an American citizen there, but you work for the NFL? Why should you pledge allegiance? Why should you be a traitor to your country? Well, so this is this is a little bit on the margins, but in yeah. the end, I mean, the, this is up for the company to decide. So if the company said that you couldn't, you you can't bend knee, you have to do this, you have to do that. I actually think that 
you can leave the company, right? Like, so I mean, I, I was, I, my only hesitation here is that I don't think you. Have what if you're, what if you're religious I, and you don't believe in right? So solidifying a flag. Sure, one hundred. I, I think there are mar- there are edge cases, right? But I do think that free speech doesn't really apply in terms of how it's bound within a company, but, but, but a private enterprise. But forcing somebody to. to Solemnify the flag is already forcing them to speak. That's like forced speech. You're, you're, you know, that's that's different. That's a company, a corporate, a corporation can't force you to have a political opinion. It can't force you to have a political opinion, right? And but I, but I also don't think that you're allowed to protest. W- Why is company. taking a knee protest? Or you're not allowed to. Uh, I don't. It's not like they're seeing a difference. I just don't think song. that any. I don't think anyone who is employed by a company is allowed. Uh, complete free expression. I just don't think that's how we interpret freedom. The NFL's speech. earlier solution to this problem was to have all the players in the locker room before the. Yeah, well, I think they started to uh, uh, trumpet the flag uh, after nine eleven, right? Yeah. So that, that it wasn't necessarily. And they were paid by the Pentagon to do this, by the way. Yeah, maybe. No, John McCain like did a fact fight. You know, there was a whole like movement where the NFL and after nine eleven, they all got paid. All the major league sports companies yeah, yeah. got paid to like. Have begin having their players like be outside the national. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that it's. I I just think (coughs) to me, like I have a hard time thinking about First Amendment rights within a company, within a private company, because I just don't think you have those. But this isn't. But this isn't. You're. You know. I think. But but the arguments are that you players shouldn't have to suspend their First Amendment rights. There are employed by a corporation means that I think you effectively expression rights your freedom of expression this is generally how we interpret this yeah. aren't necessarily uh, aren't the same as a, as a private citizen right so that you uh, you can be a private citizen if you need to protest if you need to expression if you need to express yourself violates what your company wants then you walk away from the company right i think that's but to the extent that i mean what if it was what if the company mandated that you pledge to north korea Right, you would leave the company, right? Could they do that? Wouldn't they be sued? Wouldn't they be sued for saying that our our company's policy is that we sing the pledge to North Korea every morning? Yeah, if I think, somebody took a knee during that, would they and and they were fired? Wouldn't they have a legitimate case in court? That I don't know. So I, yeah. I think I I think that's not as clear as you think it is, right? Like I think I think companies can ask people to suspend what we would consider basic private rights of free of expression. Um, the way that they can't, uh, a private citizen wouldn't do. Like once you work for a company, there's a contract here that you uphold the company's uh, beliefs and ethos and its practices, right? And if not, then you can leave. And I think that's right. But you know, it's what it's titled. There's a there's you know, work OSHA laws that say that a company can't discriminate against race, gender, political beliefs. Or, sure, right. That's one hundred percent true. But a, I don't that's know a situation where there's a what, litmus test for political beliefs. Like right, it, not necessarily. I th- well, you're I, telling I, me I, that I, pledging allegiance to North Korea is not a litmus test for political beliefs. I'm just saying that expression isn't necessarily a guaranteed right when you work for a company, and I don't think it. Sh- I don't think we should. We should revise our laws to say that you can say whatever you want with the company. Can you a company can, fire you for not voting? No, but what would? But I. Uh, but again, like I think that's a little bit of an edge case, right? So like, what if the company said like it's company policy that everybody must vote? You know? Yeah, I think that's a. I I I'd be curious. Just about because that. they said that was their policy doesn't make it a legal policy. I mean, it can be challenged in court. Sure, sure. I and mean, it, but I think we don't. But at the same time, like the other side to that is, can you just go on 
uh, talking about I don't know Israeli politics. Like it's your right to expression, <laughs> no matter what. In the company, wow. company, a company I think can fire you if you feel like that's a fi- th- yeah. That's but making the first, but the, the f- under hostile workplace. When Colin Kaepernick first took that knee that first time, yeah, and he was not fired. Yeah, that's it. Game over. Right. Obviously, the NFL didn't want to fire him because it would have looked pretty shitty. But they effectively fired him. They they didn't they didn't rehire him for other reasons you know not for that reason supposedly no but I mean they fired him for that reason I think because no one wanted to touch him after that after he went into free agency right right but he went into free agency right that's a whole different he was not picked up like his his brand was seen as toxic yeah but now there's everybody's doing it so yeah. so many people and they're not they're not getting fired either yeah so they're not exercising this company policy right like they have ceded their right to this being a company policy that they have any kind of you know the person. I, I think, but at any point, they could the person that. that does get fired now for taking a knee will now have a, a case that is, he's being unjustly persecuted, right? Like they that ship is maybe so, perhaps, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I don't know. It's such a humble, simple gesture that was, you know, very, very like, and but because of the rhetoric of the time, because it was during an election year because it was during Black Lives Matter protests, people were looking for people to bear down on anywhere they could, and they settled on this one, and they're just strategically stupid because now it's just never going to stop. There's a simple, easy gesture right. to show uh, your antagonism towards a regime that wants you fired, right. and it's going to be permanent now. Yeah, I, I, and that's a good point. I also want to bring up another point where um, I think Harry Enten of 538 um, did some polling work, or some other people did too, and they show that at any given time, uh, even protest movements that we have lionized since yeah. were really unpopular at that moment, at the moment that they were being... Uh, undertaken, they were really unpopular. So it was people start to talk about strategies and how this is popular, how this p- plays with middle America. Keep in mind that a lot of protest move you can win um, public support if you're willing to take a hit uh, in the short term. So some people at 538 have been talking a little bit about that kind of polling uh, disparity. Like it doesn't necessarily like popularity now, widespread popularity now doesn't necessarily mean that you've lost the argument or unpopularity. No, it doesn't mean that you've lost the long-term argument. Yeah, and I think Jerry Jones taking a knee with the Cowboys represents that. Yeah, it's right. Like you've won, you know, this is moving in the direction that is that Trump is not going to like. He's not going to like it Every at all. Sunday it's just going to grow. So, um, I think that's it for politics. We're kind yeah. of running out of time <laughs> a little. No, 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 no. I think that's a good debate. Um, but I wanted to go now to um, outside the bubble. Um, so we talked a little bit about this and we just heard it. So my outside the bubble suggestion is actually... Uh, a podcast from the Cato Institute, which is a libertarian think tank. Um, the podcast itself, I think, is a little hit or miss, but um, it is uh, about NPR and funding and whether or not public radio has a diversity issue. Uh, I think it was released uh, late last week, um, so maybe around the 22nd or uh, the 23rd of September. Uh, it's worth listening to. Um, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think the speaker has a lot of amazing points, but he has one crucial point that I wanted to debate, which is, does NPR have um, a lack of political diversity in the way that it approaches stories, or does it, um, and should it correct this? And I just wanted to get your viewpoint, and I wanted to talk about it. And I would say that I and my wife, my wife is a big NPR listener, and we actually had an, a pretty interesting debate. So. I think I'm most interested in your wife's point of view. What'd she say after this? <laughs> well, I think, I, I, we kind of came to this uh consensus that um, 
really, it may not be up to... NPR is kind of seen as a liberal outfit, even though I think... Uh, I think I, I really like NPR. I think they do really good reporting for what they are, which is a radio program. Um, I think it's one of those uh, mainstream media outlets that I think isn't sort of... And there's also a wide range between, you know, like serial and all things considered. Right. Which are both under the same NPR. Right, but right. One is way more liberal than the other, I would say. Yeah, and I, but I also think they just do really good work. Yeah, I yeah, think they yeah. also inspire a lot of people to do good work. I think a lot of the podcasts, political podcasts... Um, ecosystem tends to point back to um, NPR and a lot, and it's sort of like a, it's sort of a, a sh- shining example of what can be done. Um, but I, th- with NPR, I think it's also seen as liberal, right? And I think its audiences tend to be pretty liberal. Like it does really pitch itself uh, to uh, middle class bourgeois um, liberal audience, and that I think is where they get their funding. And you do pay the piper. So the way that Fox News pitches itself to an audience, maybe an older, whiter, more conservative um, uh, constituency. NPR pitches itself to another audience. And I think if it does make steps, um, and I think this was my wife's point, I think the solution isn't necessarily to bring in conservative people to the editorial board. It's that um, Fox News should, or there should be a conservative radio station that tries to do something similar. Mm-hmm. Um which I think is a point. I don't know if I agree with it 100%, but I do think that um, once you start to try to or, or incorporate... You can make it competitive, whereas federal funds are dispersed for anybody who's willing to agree to these basic guidelines. Right. And then they can police each other. NPR can police conservative PR yeah. and yeah. vice versa, right? Yeah. Where it's not like a, we've created this ecosystem and this is the fe- where the federal money will go. It's that... We have federal grants for anybody who wants to do objective journalism. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just think that once you start to um, try to bring in conservatives under the NPR brand, I think you end up, I think, annoying or pissing off or driving away a lot of the paying, supporting viewers like you base. <laughs> and so that's a, that's just and from a financial perspective. I think I think the point is is well taken, that NPR does lean to the left. It does see certain views certain political viewpoints through a very clear lens. Um, And there, I mean, if you want it to be a much more um, mainstream media that tries to be neutral, yes, of course, you should incorporate more more different viewpoints. Are the Marines too conservative? (laughs) (laughs) Does it, does, do generals uh, have a, have a too conservative bent in their, like, ability to wage war, right? right? Shouldn't they be trying to get humanitarian aid to people <laughs> instead of trying to figure out new ways to kill them? I mean, I guess that's my point of view, is that, like, I think the the spirit of public inquiry and, like, you know, dogged investigative journalism and, and uh, I guess, fussy debate over the particular issues that NPR listeners are interested in are going to have a You know, like, the, the example made on this podcast was this person went to, like, a climate change art show and, like had feelings about it and wasn't that an example of a opinion you know like but what art show are you going to go to that isn't gonna create a liberal piece of journalism you know yeah like, or i mean journalism's a strong word yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right it isn't gonna you know what i mean like, part is one. yeah 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 and i think that's that's one of those things right right like so i think he uh the person in this podcast was arguing that that was their way of editorializing about climate change but yeah. i think it's more like npr wanted to cover something artistic and rather than talking about the guy who 
I don't know, took a picture of him shitting in the toilet every day. <laughs> right. Like, they decided to have something that would have be at least thematic in terms of what their listeners want to listen to, right? right. And so, again, NPR has its ears ground in terms of what its listeners' opinions are or like in place ar- of that audience. Yeah, or like an art show that's just, like, about Venezuela. You know, like, there's Venezuelan troubles from, like, the Venezuelan point of view. Yeah, like, right. Artists, I would say, by and large, are wave to the left of NPR. Like, so much so that they don't listen to it and despise it, right? Yeah. So, I think NPR's really is the center it's just that yes yeah, the this, center left it's He's, the center it's the center of the spirit of the publicly minded you know intellectual class right and I, I think also the other thing is that um we don't recognize that there's already a filtering process people who enter journalism tend to lean left it's not that npr is doing a political um test yeah uh, it doesn't you know check all the boxes here and if that and if your political viewpoints align with ours then we'll hire you it is that the like the vast majority of uh, journalism done at, at the NPR level or um, a lot of like big name newspapers are a lot of the people who go into that kind of work lean left and that's a cultural issue that uh, can't help but uh, bias the news outlets but isn't necessarily deliberate on the part of the news outlets that's who they get as well yeah and NPR does a great job of building consensus among the left for America's right wing uh, military initiatives right like you should, shouldn't the shouldn't the right like appreciate that it has this like base to draw from when they need to deliver like talking points about like Iraq's weapons of mass destruction to a willing audience like I mean this stuff classically NPR has been has delivered the left on humanitarian incursions in places that they've liked us to invade so I mean I, I you know, as I mean, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. But, I mean, I, but I, I, I would say that there's a breadth of, of opinion that is, it's not just a talking point of the center left because there couldn't be one. It's not yeah. like the DNC comes up with these talking points, right? Right. No, that you pledge allegiance to, yeah, right? Like, there's I, but, way too much diversity. But it, you know, I do think there is a point to the, the, the point the, that they were making that there just aren't really. You don't hear libertarian and conservative viewpoints on NPR. I think is a good one because even if you're shooting them down, I, I think liberals like you know, are overwhelmed when they can encounter them in the wild, right? Right, they don't know exactly. how to respond. Like, they have no modeling for how to challenge these opinions. And right, I mean, I think there's something about the fine art of debate that has lost a lot in these sort of liberal echo chambers. Yeah, so I would like to see that, but I, I wouldn't like to see it at the service of uh, where facts are eliminated. You yeah. Know, where if we can agree, if, uh, if they can find conservatives that can agree on a shared set of facts and then debate the, like policy outcomes or initiatives yeah. then and that, that would make fascinating radio especially yeah. since you you know release it in four and a half minutes <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the other thing isn't it the news mostly yeah. I mean how is that I, I don't I don't really see a liberal bias to foreign events I, it's always about how you cover it and just like the slight nuances like uh, but I think that's that's fair I mean, but even then I mean it's helpful to have a different viewpoint be like okay, you just like one word or two can matter right like I'm not that's th- that's always going to reflect bias, right? Those are editorial decisions that reflect bias. Uh, yeah, the other thing is, like, NPR does have a clear set of federal guidelines for what they can and can't say. Yeah. That's something that I think people don't really realize for the most part, that a lot of their... I mean, they're not... There's a lot of things they can't say at all, right? right. Like, and a lot of what people were our signifiers as far as a conservative point of view yeah. are these, like, willful assertions and calls to action that we're all comfortable just like roll that that's what liberals are like about NPR is that these calls to action and these like you know willful these like unfact check assertions like mm-hmm. that you know are throw you in one camp or the other are absent right yeah I, and I, I don't know how easy it would be to 
tell a libertarian or conservative point of view with these federal guidelines still in place? Like, how would we know? I mean, you could person? do it, but I just think that it's it uh, it involves a certain amount of debate, and, and and I think I don't know if NPR is the best place for that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I I think that's it for outside the yeah. bubble. Um, and I think we are roughly out of time. So this has been episode 24 of Room of Requirement. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Once again, I'm Kamala Shrow. And I'm Miracle Jones. Yeah. yeah. And uh, thanks again to Kevin Carter for producing our intro and outro music. Yeah, yeah.